Hello, and welcome back to Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. On Current Account, I try to talk about what I see as the most important current issues in international finance and economics, while providing a little bit of a story on U.S. politics and a policy angle on these different issues. Today, I'm going to talk about China and specifically how we should think about the Chinese economy in 2023. The reason I chose this subject is mainly because of the uncertainty involved. So the big story in China for the last several weeks has been the end of China's zero COVID policy. In early December, China basically did a complete 180 degree shift after two years of very strict lockdowns and compulsory mass testing. This change in policy could mean a lot for China and for the global economics. But before I highlight all those issues, there's a very human dimension to this story. There are a lot of people in China that are getting very sick. There are some probably that are going to die. We don't exactly know what's going to happen. And so we need to keep those people in our minds as we try to think through the economic implications. Yesterday, China began its Lunar New Year. And just for those keeping track, it is the year of the rabbit. In the Lunar New Year in China, people who work in different cities, they go home and see their families. The fear of this, I mean, it's a great time to see your family, but the fear, of course, is that it could become a super spreader event. COVID has been ripping through the society, and could people that are in cities that are going home to rural areas bring COVID with them? So that's obviously a concern. When we think about economics, there are different ways of thinking about what could happen in China as they go through this COVID situation. In some respects, maybe it's a return to normal. You're seeing bookings for hotels and resorts are nearly full in anticipation of the Lunar New Year. Transportation levels in cities, whether it's trucking or airline flights or subway rides, are supposedly very much increasing. So this gradual return to normal could mean that we could revise upward our growth projections for China. And you've actually seen a number of forecasters do that. Our main forecaster, uh, Gene Ma, who I've had on earlier episodes, uh, current account, has predicted a 4.6% growth outlook for China in 2023. All right, 4.6% is pretty significant. But for China, it's actually a little below where it's been in past years, with the exception being 2020, the year of the outbreak of COVID, and 2022, where China did not meet its 5% economic growth target, but instead had about a 3% target or 3% growth, which actually probably is even still a little bit high, but that's at least their preliminary estimates. Gene has told me that he may revise it upward, again, depending on what happens after the COVID situation. There are several factors that come into play. First is a global slowdown. So China is largely a net exporter, and that has been something that allows it to continue to grow. But if the global economy slows and does not do very well, and we talked about that last week with my colleague Robin Brooks, this is likely going to hurt China in terms of its export growth. For instance, China's exports were still able to grow in the first half of 2022, but in December, we saw that they fell by 10% year over year. So already, the kind of global economic slowdown is affecting uh, China's growth rate. On the other hand, 
we could see a buildup in consumption. So during the last two, two and a half years of lockdowns, people in China have saved money that they could not spend on travel, that they could not spend on restaurants or shopping or other in-person activities. And they didn't buy much housing. Um, in fact, actually, household bank deposits, so savings for people, has increased by a whopping 18 trillion yuan in 2022, which is an increase of about $5,000 per family in China. So the end of COVID could unleash pent-up demand for goods and services. And so we could see a buildup of consumption that could actually lead towards greater economic growth for China as a whole. As we continue down the growth equation, we've hit exports, we've hit consumption. What about investment? Investment has been a bit subdued and may, and may be a disappointment. This is partially because of the export picture, because that should harm manufacturing investment. We're not seeing as much on housing investment or infrastructure investment, and so investment could fall off. But again, I think we have a fair amount of uncertainty on that equation. And foreign investment actually has stayed up in the equity markets, but not as much in the debt markets. Again, we've talked about that in the past, which is that capital flows have actually been outward bound from China, which has been very unusual over the last 10 years. Maybe one last factor, which I think is more of a factor for the medium to long term than the short term, is we have started to see a population decline. So in other words, demographic changes within China. Again, I think that this is probably not going to show up in 2023 statistics, but I think that it is one of these things that uh, we should be paying attention to for the future. Other reasons for uncertainty in China are on the policy side. So maybe a simple comparison is helpful. In the United States, economic uh, data is released all the time, and different policy measures, whether on the fiscal side or the monetary side, can happen kind of at almost any time during the year. In China, it doesn't necessarily work that way. The main data will be released in March of this year, and the policy is being set right now. So in October, we had the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party took place. And in that, what you saw was largely political leadership changes, but not necessarily clear policy changes. On economics policy, that takes place or is taking place now and kind of culminates in March in the National People's Congress. So what we expect to see at the National People's Congress is a few things. First, there will be some of the numerical targets. So earlier I noted that there would be a numerical target of over 5% economic growth in 2022 for China. And China usually hits its economic growth targets for whichever reason. We will actually see what the real targets for 2023 in a number of areas are, but we won't see that until March. A different argument is that some of the key economic policy makers, including the central bank governor, have not actually been installed. And so we will actually, we'll have to wait for a little while for that to happen. And then lastly, there are, is likely, as I noted, to be what are the policies that China is going to pursue? Will they pursue greater fiscal stimulus? Will they pursue greater monetary stimulus? Are they going to take steps? They've already taken some steps to actually ease some of the housing regulations that they had put in place in the past. So 
the policy environment is still a little uncertain, as well as just some of the earlier issues we talked about, such as consumption and exports. In addition to all of these uncertainties, there still remains the uncertainty of the U.S.-China relationship, which has been fraught for a long time now. In many respects, the U.S.-China division started during the Trump administration, but have continued in the Biden administration. And essentially, we have had a trade tension, technology tension, and lots of other tension between the two countries. There has been some hope lately when President Biden met with President Xi late in 2022, and they seem to at least come to an agreement that there should be a less confrontational approach. And that is supposed to be accelerated when Secretary of State Anthony Blinken goes to China in the next month or two. Last week, we saw in Switzerland, Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen met with the top economic advisor, Liu He, and they actually seem to have a very good meeting, strong engagement, and promises of further engagement in the very near future. That all being said, the U.S.-China relationship is still filled with tension, and that tension could become worse because the House of Representatives has flipped from the Democrat control to Republican control. And as we've noted before, Republicans and Democrats want to put a lot of pressure on China. But now you're going to have the added political incentives for the Republicans to out-hawk the Democrats and try to put in even more tension. So on one hand, you're having better engagement, but on the other hand, you could have policies or potentially even legislation that suggests going more negative on China. All of that is an uncertainty that we'll have to be dealing with. Now it's time for my three, two, one. These are my three takeaways from today's podcast. Two things I'm looking forward to and one sports fact. The three things that are my takeaways are, first, there's tremendous uncertainty in China. They have just reversed themselves on COVID uh, lockdown policy, and that has unleashed COVID on their society, which could have very negative effects on their economy. Second, it could have very positive effects in terms of like having much more consumption and a greater chance of investment improving in China. And third, the uncertainty is not just in these factors, but also in the policy. We don't really completely know where is China going in terms of their economic policy. Two things I'm looking forward to. Our first, the March National People's Congress, because we'll start getting a much better idea of where China's going in terms of their data and their policy. And next, whether the United States and China, the relationship at at least levels of the president, secretary of state, secretary of treasury, will actually start to improve with their Chinese counterparts in the short term or not. And we'll get a better view of that with Secretary of State Blinken's visit in either February or March. My one sports fact of the week is to turn down under to Australia. The first major tennis tournament of the year, the Australian Open, has begun. There are four major tournaments that creates the Grand Slam. The Australian Open is the first one. I think the big story, though, to watch is whether 
Novak Djokovic can make a comeback and win the Australian Open. Why do I say that? In addition to winning a 10th Australian Open, if he wins, he would tie Rafael Nadal for the most victories ever, 22, in Grand Slam tournaments. Besides Roger Federer, who had 20, there's no one else even close. But last year, Djokovic was not allowed to play in the Australian Open. He wasn't allowed to play because he refused to get vaccinated, and so Australia wouldn't let him into the country. This year, he still hasn't gotten vaccinated, but they have lifted that restriction. And so the question is, is that can he make his comeback and become the only person ever to win a 10th Australian Open, or will he not be able to do it and start to actually show some of his age, which he has not shown in the past. Well, that's it. I'm going to wrap up this episode of Current Account. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show as we constantly look to improve and enhance the experience for you, the listener. We can be reached at podcast at IIF.com. Make sure to tune in next week for our next episode. That and all of our episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.